ladies, welcome back to another episode of the Woman Intentionally Podcast, a podcast for women seeking personal growth and development. And this also includes just learning how to grow as mothers. So today I have a very special guest that is going to show us and give us some insight on ways that we can be better equipped to disrupt the school to prison pipeline. So with that being said, let's jump right into this podcast. Good morning, Mr. Webb. Welcome to the Woman Intentionally Podcast. How are you? I'm good. Good morning. I'm very happy to be here with you. Yes. So you are a very special guest, Mr. Webb, because you are the first man, the first gentleman to join me on the Woman Intentionally Podcast. So you should be, you know, feeling pretty good right now. I am quite honored and nervous to be speaking to all you ladies out there. Well, you have some valuable insight that I think is going to help a lot of mothers. So I just was very excited to get you on the pop on the podcast. So today we're going to be talking about disrupting the school to prison pipeline. And I want us to just dive right in. So can you just tell us a little bit about yourself, what it is that you do and how you got into this line of work? I am a retired law enforcement professional with the Bureau of Prisons. I am also a adjunct faculty member with the Potomac State University, a division of West Virginia University. I am owner of my own consulting, teaching, and speaking firm. Uh, I'm an academic success speaker for grades 7 through 12, life coach, and that's the hats I wear right now. Yeah. (laughs) I got into this um, in 2017. I had a woman call my office and she said, what did you do to my son, Mr. Webb? And I said, I don't know who your son is, but if you tell me what's going on, I'll get to the bottom of it. And what she said was, she told me his name and I said, he's been gone from being incarcerated for almost three years. She said, it's been five, Mr. Webb, and that's why I'm calling you is because this is the first time in his entire life that he spent this long out of a facility. And when I asked him what was different, he said, his talks with you. So I called to thank you. And that really hit me hard. And she went on to say how she she always thought she was going to die with her son incarcerated. And if you have a, a loved one incarcerated, what begins to happen when they go back and forth over and over again they keep telling their loved ones they're not going to go back. And then they continuously do. And this woman described that process and how it hardened her heart. And she stopped believing in her son. And she was getting physically sick. And finally, she's found some peace. And her last words to me were that she wished I would keep kids out of prison rather than having kids go to prison and not having them come back. And that very next week, I went to the warden and my boss and I said, you know, this, my, my path isn't going this way anymore. My path is gonna be to keep kids out of prison. And I said, I started in September of 1990 and I'm going to end my career uh, in September of 2017. So she was really the one, I don't even know her name, that she yeah. was really the one that got me going. It's really 
um, just cool to see the impact that you have just by, like you said, having talks. Did he grow up without a father or, or kind of how did, how did he end up in that situation? He never had a male role model, especially an African-American male role model. Yeah. And he just got involved at an early age with things. Mm. And what he used to tell me was, you know, and we were, I was just a little bit older than him. I could have been his older brother, not his dad. Yeah. And he said, you, you, you're like my dad to me. He said, these, these are the things I imagined my dad would tell me. And I never had that. So it was just getting a relationship and building those relationships. And that wasn't the first time I've had people call me and thank me, but that was the first time someone had actually said, you know what, you should be doing something different. Wow. Man, ain't it crazy how God will send exactly what he knows is going to get you moving into action? Yes, yes. It just living your gift. Yeah. So I found you on the um, Black Speakers Network, and I just happened to tune in and heard you talking about the um, school to prison pipeline. My sisters, I have two sisters that are correctional. Well, one is a mental health uh, person in the mm -hmm. at the prison, and one is actually a correctional officer. And the stories that, you know, she just shares about just how she wants to help guys and, you know, she can't get too um, detail, but just, um, I just know that there are some really good people in there that kind of went down the wrong path. So can you start by telling us a little bit about the school to prison pipeline and how it's impacting the lives of so many children? It is really, when I first heard of it, I was actually living in it because being a teacher out of college and working in the prison system, the same young men that were walking into my office at the at the prison were walking into my classroom. I began to realize something was going on. And what I found was the school to prison pipeline, which is something crazy. It's just a crazy term to me. It's so heartbreaking, mm. the term. And it's a way children are funneled out of schools because of these zero tolerance policies. And they're put into juvenile facilities, alternative schools and court programs. And these aren't, for the most part, like things that you could get arrested for. They call status offenses, like skipping school and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And I just found it incredible how the answer to that problem was to send them to these places, which are just miniature prisons. Yeah. And, you know, from the guys coming into my office, it was like punishment was never a deterrent to them. It was mm -hmm. actually a process that they felt like they had to go through and realize, you know what, I can do this. Right. And then that's when it, it starts because of the funneling. The zero tolerance policies aren't for like arresting offenses. They're like just disruptiveness in classrooms and things like that. And you're just taking kids out of school where they're, that's for a lot of them, their only structure. Right. So I remember you speaking a little bit about restorative practices in, in schools. Can you talk a little bit about that? And, and I even want you to talk about that in the home as well, because a lot of disciplinary problems kind of happen at home. Absolutely. Now, I'm old enough to remember a time when you got in trouble in class and you would write on the chalkboard and you would get detention or before school detention. Those things don't exist anymore. Mm. It's almost as if all that's been taken away and what restorative practice really is, is a defining between the punishment fit in a crime. It's an investment 
into the individual that was hurt and the individual that did the hurting. Mm. Um, in our homes, it sometimes looks like blame and it becomes punishment. But the more there's an idea out there that the more you punish, the less likely people will offend. And that's just not true. Right. The stronger relationship that people have, which is a restorative practice, the less likely they're going to offend. The stronger relationship I have with my peers, the less likely I'm going to hurt them. The stronger relationship I have with my teacher, the less likely I'm going to disappoint them. Mm -hmm. So that's where the restorative practice focuses on the relationship where this adversarial thing that we've gotten into with this school, the prison pipeline and zero tolerance policy is all about blame. And deterrence is supposed to be the punishment, but but the punishment in our criminal justice system for years has never stopped people from committing crimes. Mm. That's why they keep coming back because the punishment is not the deterrence. And what I found is, and the guys that have been successful that have passed through my office was the relationship I had with them. Yeah. Wow. And it's so much, that's, that's so good because that relationship, even like you said, in the home, building a relationship with my son to where um, I'm not just always talking to him and, 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 you know, punishing him and beating on him um, with my words and things like that when he does something wrong, but actually building that relationship to where I can ask him, why are you feeling like that? Why are you thinking like that? Like, what made you do that? You know, kind of getting him to be to to come to you know a realization of how his actions are impacting his life and decisions and stuff like that it's uh just about getting the right balance between being firm and being fair mm -hmm. and i think uh some of us that are older have been raised in the the high author authoritarian ways and we pass that down to our children when we are higher on rules and lower in respect or support we operate in an authoritarian way and then blaming others becomes a normal way that we parent. Mm. So we have to get in touch with where we set high expectations, but then offer the support. When we become inclusive and freely cooperate with others, our relationships are built and they just get stronger. You know, when, when we are consistently trying to achieve having high expectations, but having that support as well. Okay. So not, not just beating them up when they fail and stuff like that, but, and, and yes. expecting them to get there without knowing how to get there. Right. Mm -hmm. Set those high expectations. We, we, I think we, in our school system sometimes limits, you know, how high we think our youth can go. And, and mm -hmm. we, if we set high expectations, they become advocates for themselves. So it's about finding that balance and knowing that you're not perfect, but we, we have to continuously try to find that balance between being firm and fair. Yeah. So can you try to tell us a few of the statistics concerning the school to prison pipeline? Some of these are really unbelievable is yeah. that we spend $135 billion a year to house children in facilities. Hmm. That money could be spent to alleviate the conditions that lead to the to stuff not being spent on the results of the conditions that we could solve with that money right we're spending forty thousand dollars per child to do this we've spent more money on putting cameras in schools than they do in prisons in the first place right and the really heartbreaking statistic that i found is one in four women have a loved one under 30 that's in the system. Mm -hmm. And if that doesn't break your heart enough, 
one in two black women have a loved one under 30 in the system. Wow. And this is the, the trauma that I think a lot of people don't understand. And I, I, you know, my relationship with my mom, my mom is from Selma, Alabama, you know, ground zero of the civil rights movement. Yeah. And she saw all those things. And I didn't realize when I was younger that she had her own trauma through that, where, you know, she was afraid if I went outside and, and said something to the wrong person, I could get lynched. Mm. you know Emmett Till style because she was there for that you know she was yeah. you know that was a part of her growing up and mm. you look at today where a young man goes out jogging and he's gunned down so this is the trauma that I think we don't talk about because when I look back I was very you know I, I love my mom but I didn't understand why she was overprotective which led to some tension had I known about that trauma, which I know as an adult, I think things would have been different. So I always express to women, especially single women that have boys, is that you have to express that trauma. You have to tell them, you know, the, the reasons why we're doing things. We leave that out. I lived in a day, you did it because I said so. Mm -hmm. But that, that's not effective. Right. Um, I've, I've had my own trauma just because based on that and that was unintentional you know i'm not blaming my mother for for that but that's part of uh the fabric of me it is so true a lot of times we don't take the time to um to talk to our kids about that those things and they just don't under they just don't understand so it's almost like they're they're not concerned they just keep doing what they want to do because they don't understand the full capacity of it and I think that sometimes we don't think, or moms don't think that, that their children deserve it, you know, just based on how we were raised and stuff like that. Cause mm -hmm. I'm from Arkansas. We were kind of like that too. Like you do what I say because I said do it and not really, you know, helping me make decisions because, you know, I, that was the right thing to do. And one of the things that I always try and like when I talk to mothers or you know, women or just people in general with kids, you might get some results forcing that child for a little while. But when they get away from you, if they don't have a good, a good decision making process uh, for themselves, they're going to do whatever everyone else is doing, what they feel like at the moment. And it may lead them to things that they don't desire or, or bad outcomes. So we have to spend time like teaching our kids how to make good decisions, you know, like getting to the root of why they don't want to do the right thing. So we can kind of shape and mold it a little bit differently. Victims of, of trauma always go back to what they know. Yeah. So if I'm, if I'm taught not to speak up for myself, I won't speak up for myself. If I'm taught, I'm not allowed to express feelings of hurt or sadness. I have to be tough. Then I'm going to carry that trauma with me. You know, what about men that are raising boys now um, and they didn't have that type of, they didn't get to see what it was like to be a good man raising your children in, you know, with effective communication. And, you know, there are men who are struggling to, to effectively communicate with their children. So they have that, um, you know, very aggressive, like boys don't cry and shouldn't express their feelings and, and things like that. Is that trauma related as well? Absolutely. Uh, what happens is, we learn how to be men from other men. Mm -hmm. And as black men, for the most part, we don't ask for help yeah. in anything. We find that as a weakness. One of the most enlightening things for me, raising a son, is that 
I get to control what men I bring into his life and that I'm the hero, mm -hmm. but by, and by bringing other men into his life, I'm not weak. There's just certain things I, I can't do. I'm not a, a builder. I, I can't build things. I'm, I'm not good with, you know, I hated Legos as a kid. So I hate building things now. I hate, you know, I get, when I buy something from the store, I buy it already put together. I'll pay the extra cost, put yeah. it together, deliver it. I don't want to, I don't want to do that type stuff. So when right. it comes to that type stuff, I find men that, you know, when I was building a fire pit, you know, I need help. Yeah. And I'm not ashamed to say I need help. Mm. And then he learns, okay, I can have relationships with other men. I can find responsible men. And then I can be a high character person too, because I see high character people. Yeah. Now that's good. What are some things that single mothers should be aware of concerning raising boys without their biological fathers in their lives? I think the first one we kind of touched on is addressing your own trauma, because that's going to affect how you parent mm. uh, your child, especially a young man. Uh, so addressing that trauma, um, like my mom finally telling me why she was so restrictive of me, that freed a lot of things for me. So addressing whatever trauma you had in your life and doing it in an age-appropriate way, but the best time is to start early so they develop to understand it. And the second one is probably the toughest one, and please don't attack me, but you, you have to address, <laughs> ladies out there, please address your relationship with men mm -hmm. and whatever that is and whatever that looks like, yeah. because that is almost everything in a nutshell. Mm -hmm. Your relationship with men be able to find somebody to talk about it with, take a look at it for yourself, do some inner search and do a deep dive into what my relationship with men looks like. Mm -hmm. What type of men do I have I been dealing with? Because this is what your sons are going to see. You know, how many men I got going inside, in and out of my house? How do I relate to men? How is my interactions with men? Am I being too submissive when a man's around? Am I being too aggressive? Because young men are learning how to treat women through how you are treated. How you allow other men to treat you is going to be how your son is going to treat other women. Woo! You know, <laughs> yeah. another good thing, I think it's so good, Lord, thank you, um, that you are here and saying things like that because there are a lot of women who didn't have a father to tell them that kind of knowledge, you know? So if I didn't, if even though you you may expect people to know that some women have never been told, you know, those kind of things and hearing it from a man, you know, is is sometimes needed. And especially when it's coming with love and with sincerity. So I really, really appreciate that. Just that perspective. Yeah, and and I say I said not being attacked because when I've done trainings and stuff, I have been attacked for that. Yeah. Like, like there's it's a lot of, and that's part of the trauma mm -hmm. is that you can't tell me and i'm not telling you how to deal with your you know relationships i can't tell you who to love but i can tell you that whoever you love is going to have an impact on the growth and development of your child it's so true and we have to be careful with that kind of thing you know we have to be careful and a lot of times we're not even thinking about i know when i was when i was young um i wasn't i really wasn't thinking about 
you know, character and like what kind, how did he treat his mom? I didn't really have a guideline to help me identify like good qualities in a man, you know? And so it's just kind of like, you don't realize how that impacts you. If you marry this man without good character or, you know, without values and stuff like that, what does that look like for your family, for the rest of your life, for your child that's going to see this type of behavior, you know? And I think a lot of times if you, if you don't have that information or you don't take the time to think about those things, we end up getting in relationships that not only impact us in a negative way, but can impact our children in a negative way as well. Absolutely. And that's the scary part. I'm, I'm, you know, raising, I have my oldest is my daughter and, you know, my youngest is my son. And I can see how some of my trauma has affected my relationships with them. And I'm very conscious of the way I act around women, around my son, where I wasn't that conscious about it with my daughter. Mm. What can you go a little bit deeper about that? Like what? <clears throat> and I'm not going to blame my age, but around my daughter, I was uh, freely bringing women in and out, mm. regardless of you know integrity or anything. Just freely bringing yeah. women around, because um, that was kind of my relationship. Um, with my mom was she was fairly submissive uh to a point and she i i kind of in a lot of situations i thought she was being run over and i thought that's how you were supposed to treat women mm, yeah <clears throat> and having my daughter and going through that and, and having that kind of get in the way of our relationship yeah. i began to realize that you know, these things I'm I'm doing is not healthy for her. And then when I had my son, I, I definitely didn't want him to grow up to be a womanizer or, or anything like that. So I, I was very conscious of who I brought in and, in and out of his life. Yeah. You and it's to just the same point. It's just the same. You don't have to be doing anything bad. Mm -hmm. But if, you know, my dad is, you know, picking up one woman at noon and then picking up another one at six, yeah. and talking to another one here and there, then what's my value as a woman, you know, that mm -hmm. I'm teaching young women? Yeah. And especially if, um, you know, a lot of times we get our perception of what a man is, you know, is supposed to, how he's supposed to treat us from you. Yeah. And that's something where we have to just be honest. Like even us as women, we have to be honest about examining our actions and how we are in relationships and things like that. That is so valuable. If you're listening to this, take some time and evaluate where you are in that type of situation and how, you know, your relationships and the people that you're dating or whatever, how that could impact your kids. And if you need to make adjustments, sis, it's no blaming, it's no belittling, it's just make adjustments for the sake of yourself and your emotions and mentality and your growth and as well as your children too. And that's why I started with dealing with the trauma first. Is yeah. that once you deal with that, you you'll find your relationships which will change, and how you deal with your child will change. Mm. I, 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 there are so many children and caught up in that school to prison pipeline, because what happens is they're leaving school and they're basically on their own, and they're mm. they're going into homes where they're all alone 
but there are adults present. They're just not involved with them because they may be yeah. too involved with, you know, and like, like mm-hmm. I was, I, I had my daughter, but I was too involved with so-and-so mm-hmm. that I was present in the room, but I wasn't present in the life. Children have to know that you have a, a general interest in them mm-hmm. and they're not alone in a house full of people. Right. And having those, I, I know young men have always talked about, I was the man of the house when I was, you know, seven years old. And we have to, and that's based upon a woman's relationship with a man that says the man is supposed to do everything. And, and a lot of young men are growing up and, and, and girls are growing up being the adult in the household, taking care of younger siblings, having so many responsibilities that school is secondary. You know, that education becomes secondary to taking care of the household. What is like one thing that, that parents can do to just be more present, to, to ha- you know, help that child feel, you know, more loved and like they mean something to that parent? It really starts with just having honest conversations. And it doesn't matter how long or short, but it's that genuine interest in them and not uh, let being distracted by other things. The, the world is children unfriendly. And I think we overemphasize the children's resilience and forget sometimes that they are children, they are growing and they are developing and that those ages are so important. Uh, One thing I talk about my son with my son with all the time, I said, you're going to be an adult much longer than you're going to be a child. So whatever habits you're developing now is going to affect your almost your entire life. It is true. So we, we have to do our part to make sure that our children feel loved and feel that connection. One thing that I will do because it's just the reality, I spend a spend a good amount of time, um, or sometimes I'm just on my phone, right? And if my son is saying something, he knows and I like, Tyree, let me give me two one minute, let me finish this, and then I'm because I want to hear you clearly. I'm not like, uh-huh, yeah, yeah, and texting at the same time. I, I, I let him know that I respect him enough to give him my full attention. So as soon as I, let me, give me one minute, let me finish sending this, and now, now talk to me. And one of those things that has really helped our little relationship is just getting down to his level. I think sometimes we get so caught up in like, oh, you don't have to pay bills, you don't have to do this, and, you know, so we don't, we don't take, you know, the little situations in sixth and fifth grade as seriously because they're not paying bills. But the more I've gotten a chance to work with children and stuff like that, I realized how important those moments are to come down to his level. Like what Jacob broke up with some so-and-so today and, you know, and to just get involved. And he is just can talk for like forever, just about what's going on in fifth grade. So, but that's his time to decompress. And I think that we owe it to them to kind of come down to their level and see what's going on inside their little world. And that's that genuine interest. And, and through that, they get to learn how to own their behaviors. Mm-hmm. They get to own their emotions. You're working with them to create solutions with them that they can speak their emotions and then they're empowered to use their voices and just not respond on emotions, which a lot of times that I've found is when, when I, I was working, a, a young guy came into my office. He had single parent, uh, poverty, all that kind of stuff in, into the prison. And I had a young man walk into my classroom 
same situation, same everything. They went to the same high school. Mm. One was a little bit older than the other, but they knew of each other, which was amazing to me. And mm. what I found was that the one had a personality that was a little more emotional, but teachers didn't know how to deal with that. Mm -hmm. So he was caught up in, okay, zero tolerance. Here's a juvenile facility. And while the other one was more passive, got into a little bit of trouble, but was kind of pushed through. So mm -hmm. he didn't experience that juvenile facility, alternative school, any of that. And he ended up in college. The only difference was how each one handled their emotions and mm -hmm. how, and I think what happens with schools and teachers is that consciously or unconsciously, and it's unfortunate, but going back to statistics, black males are six times more likely to be expelled, arrested, put in juvenile facilities, alternative schools, and court programs. Six times more likely than an average student. Wow. For the same behaviors, the inequities of, of the punishment, mm. and whether it happens consciously or subconsciously, we, we have to do something about that. We do. A lot of it is pride, too, because emotions will get you into some situations that are really hard to get out of, and it becomes unfortunate. Because I know you talked about you know, how alternative schools are like many prisons, pretty much. When I first started out, I wanted to see how schools operate. I didn't want to go by what happened, you know, what was going on with me in the 70s and 80s. So I became a substitute teacher and kind of was infiltrating the school system mm. and trying to learn. And I was offered a position, a temporary long-term sub-position at an alternative school. And I said, this is right where I need to be. Yeah. You know, you talk about how God just puts you in places mm. and how that came about was I still don't understand how it happened they just came to me maybe they knew I worked in a prison or something and that even makes it more crazy that oh he worked in a prison he'd be good at an alternative school wow right that makes no sense uh -huh. really if you really think about that but that's the type of person they thought they were going to get is mm -hmm. a stereotypical do this do x or y is going to happen and that wasn't me and when I saw this happening they were amazed by my pushback mm. and they were like you worked in a prison how did and i said exactly i said this is just a regular prison i said look at the recreation area it's in a cage look at the trays you're serving the the, the 10 praise trays that i've seen i saw for 27 years in prison are being used in a so-called school mm. <laughs> you got there there are 20 kids here and you have three uh, officers here. Wow. You know, I know schools and I'm all about security, mm -hmm. but if you go into a lot of schools, they might be one or two officers for a thousand kids. Yeah. This place had 20 kids and three officers. Wow. And, and that's how a prison operates. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the punishment aspect is put in their face the whole time. It's adversarial. There's nothing but blame. Mm. And instead of building strong relationships, building some accountability and having some, all the focus was, was on what they did instead of focusing on the past, the present and what they can do in the future. Mm. 
And then when you have that relationship and that connection, and when where a child can say, you know, I can be whoever I need to be at any given time under any given circumstance. Yeah. When they start thinking in that way, everything changes. But when they when they're led into this belief that it's my fault that I'm here, my life's awful. I'm the reason for all this happening. Then it becomes adversarial. I think sometimes we take it too lightly. Before hearing this, it, I didn't think it was that serious, you know? I, I mean, children get in trouble, they get expelled, they go to an alternative school. I didn't, you just opened my perspective of what it is really doing, training these children to think that, oh, this is doable. I can go to jail. You know what I'm saying? If I had to, I could do jail. I could do prison. Like, this is nothing, you know? Like, um, and it kind of normalizes it. And, and that's just not okay. We don't want our children thinking like that. Especially when that's that's what I see, and that's supposed to be my path. And and the biggest thing for me is why I'm doing it is so they can see, you know, a black man as a teacher. Part of the problem is less than one percent of all schools has a black male educator, and the ones that do, children are seventy five percent more likely to go to college. Wow, are you serious? Yes, just by having a black male. Kids that have had a black male educator in their education from 7th through 12th grade are 75% more likely to go to college. Oh my just one. And it's not just black students. It's all students. So how can we advocate for our children? Like we know now that our eyes have been opened about the school to prison pipeline, how are some ways that parents can advocate for our children, you know? The first thing, and I'm begging everybody that's listening, please go out and vote this November. This administration is rolling back a lot of the educational opportunities and uh, is part of this school to prison pipeline where they're making it easier to put children in that pipeline and send them places and get them out of school. Um, so please, please, please go out and vote. And Mr. Webb, for people who don't vote, right, but this is so important, they might feel inspired to go vote just because, you know, they want to advocate. That's not political. Who should they be doing more research on to figure out who they should vote for? It would be, uh, for me, this current administration, you can't get any worse. I, I forget her name, Ms. Duvall, the, the Secretary of Education or whatever. Mm -hmm. is rolling back so many policies. She's, she's trying to eliminate Title IX, which is a gender-based thing, and the school-to-prison pipeline and privatization and all this stuff is, is increasing in strength. Mm -hmm. So I can tell you who not to vote for. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I won't tell you who to vote for, okay. but I can tell you who not to vote for. And doing the research uh, for whatever candidate there is, um, and, and making sure that the policies, especially under education, are, are, are going to be ones that are inclusive, includes restorative justice, uh, and rolling back some of these punitive policies that are now coming out even worse. Yeah. Okay. So vote. And, uh, yeah, go vote. Um, number two, you have to be a part of your, your child's education, and they'll learn how to advocate for themselves. But the principals and the teachers need to know who you are. 
If you can't make a parent teacher conference, there's email, there's phone calls. Make them do their job. I used to tell guys that were incarcerated all the time uh, when they were in my program and they had issues with correctional staff or how medical staff or whatever. Um, if they're in the right, you make them do their job. That's what they're getting paid for. Um, yeah. So if you need to talk to an administrator, make them do their job go talk to them. The, the school is supposed to be a place for the community. Mm -hmm. So don't be afraid to advocate for your child, uh, for yourself. Know who's on your school board. It's all about getting involved. Make sure they know your face and know your name. Um, and if you can attend those, those meetings and see what's going on. The problem is we're not informed. We're not informed. I, w I wish I could see people so they can, so I can have them raise their hand and tell me who's on their school board. Mm -hmm. And I bet you a lot of people don't even know. Yeah. And, and these are the things that we think are going to be taking care for us that we need to be involved in. We need to be involved in who's on the school board. Teachers need to know our faces. Principals need to know our names and know that, you know, we're, we're going to advocate for our kids. We're going to fight for what's right. Um, we're not just going to allow you to suspend or move our children out of schools. It's, it's not going to happen without a fight. Ladies, I'm encouraging you get on, get on the school board. I know that it's something that, you know, I didn't really see my mom, like, you know, interacting a lot or, mm -hmm. and I've just never really taken it serious, but hearing all of this knowledge and information today, it really is, you know, pushing me to get more involved and really go and not only my son, but for other kids who might not have a mom or a dad to advocate for them to go and make sure that we're sticking up for them. And, and, and just making sure, you know, our, our kids, I got suspended in school for yeah. fighting for, for, for two days. But guess what? <laughs> my, my mom was right in the principal's office when it happened to make sure, you know, let, to, to kind of make sure that I got a fair deal. Right. And I think we kind of allow administrators and, and different people in a lot of sectors of our lives and kind of accepting whatever they dole out. And we don't have to get the information. If it's fair, it's fair. If it's not, then we need to do something about it. We, we're, we're too permissive in accepting, okay, my kid got suspended for a week or my kid has to go to an alternative school, mm. not knowing that there's another kid that did the exact same thing and didn't get suspended. Right. Why is mine? But we accept it. Right. And like I said, young black men, boys are six times more likely to be suspended hmm. for the exact same incident wow but we let that happen yeah we are the ones that let that happen instead of going and saying let me see what your disciplinary uh history looks like yeah you you're, you're allowed to do that yeah how many kids have you suspended this year and what were they suspended for and what do they look like what yes did not know that. Yes. Wow. They okay. they keep statistics of it. Yeah. And unfortunately, what what's part of the process is that, and no school administrator will admit this, but there's a relief when certain kids fall off their school roster because they're no longer a part of that accountability process anymore. Mm. So now they can move freely, you know, doing yeah. what they want as far as discipline goes 
the main thing is is you, you have to get involved in, in every way possible. Yeah. But if you're not a part of it, they're not going to listen to our concerns and get as many people there to know your concerns because you're a voting block. Right. If you go there to a school board meeting as a block together, sit together and ask questions and challenge some things that are going on, mm. you'll find changes. This is a very critical time in, in our children's lives, man. And that's why I wanted to have you on to to discuss this because just hearing those statistics, hearing you speak on the Black Speakers Network, it, it just made, it, my heart went out. All these kids are looking for something. They don't know what. And if we're not involved, that's that's how they get into the, the pipeline. That's how they're flushed into it. And they'll be funneled into it. And yeah. for kids, how they view what they do affects how they do what they do. Mm. And if they view certain things happening, it becomes acceptable. But if they view people advocating for them, they understand this is how I advocate for myself. So ladies, you should have received so many nuggets and so much inspiration just to tighten things up a bit when it comes to us being mothers, us raising our children and just trying to grow in those areas. Um, Mr. Webb, can you tell um, the ladies where they can find you? And I know you have a book as well. So tell us a little bit about that. The yep. website is revolutionarymotivation.com. If there's any educators listening and want me to come speak uh, or just want to join the, the movement, just hit that up. I'm on all social media, Webolutionary. And with the book, for your listeners, if they send me an email at info at WebolutionaryMotivation.com, put Miss Whit, I will send them a free ebook of my book, wow. Youth Champ. Uh, a guide for striving through your teens. I will subscribe them to my newsletter and I will send them a link to a free uh, personality assessment and 30 minute coaching call uh, to better relate and better communicate with their child and others. Wow. Just for having me on. That's all, all for you guys out there listening. All free. The book will be on Amazon if you want a hard copy of it. If you want a hard copy, just send me an email. And in the same email, you can just put hard copy of book and I'll, I will uh, get you the link to purchase and I will sign it for you. Mr. Webb, I just want to say thank you once again. Thank you so much for hooking my listeners up with this awesome um, information and these awesome um, gifts. And I'm going to put all the information, ladies, in the uh, description box below. And I really, really encourage you to um, take him up on this. We have to do this for the sake of our children. If you want more information, you want to get his services, he's a coach, you can head over to um, all the information he just gave you. It's also going to be below. I enjoyed this and I've learned a lot and I wish nothing but the best for you and what you're doing for people. Um, ladies, it has been a pleasure. Hopefully you have tons of nuggets that you're going to start implementing now. And just remember, as you go out and you strive to be the best version of yourselves, don't forget to woman in 10. Let's go.